Welcome to episode 9 of How Public Works, a podcast about how government and society interact and where you as a citizen can be informed and find a place where you can engage and transform our society together. I'm your host, Ilmar Simonovskis. Today we are with second term councillor Murray Weisenberger from North Saanich, British Columbia, near the airport of Victoria. We will be talking about his experiences as councillor in the West Coast, as well as his role as chair of the Climate Caucus. So welcome, Councillor Weisenberger. Um, thanks, Elmer. I'm really happy uh, to be here. Thank you. So let me start with a question around you having had an interesting journey in local and provincial politics. Can you provide a little bit of a summary of your journey? I'll try and be brief here. As, as, uh, I spent a lot of time in Surrey before I moved over to North Saanich, and I was politically active there. I, uh, for uh, about 10 years, I was sort of the head uh, pain in the behind uh, to Surrey Council along the way and uh, yeah. uh, joined the Green Party in there. And uh, uh, with that, there was no hope of me. I did run for mayor of Surrey three times, but being neither a member of the NDP or what I would call the wacky development group in Surrey, I just didn't have a home. So, uh, which caused me eventually to move off to North Saanich, uh, where I was, uh, during that time, I was also chair of the Green Party of BC, also uh, actually sat on the uh, elections, uh, BC uh, elections advisory committee, which is quite interesting, and uh, got elected in uh, first in, I guess it would have been 2014, and then by acclamation uh, four years later. So that's brought me to where I am, and I, I love living in North Saanich, and I love doing the job that I have. Nice. Thank you so much for that. And you're also currently the chair of the Climate Caucus. Can you talk a little bit about your participation with this organization? Yeah, I was one of the early adopters of that. I was probably maybe the around the 30th member to it. And uh, it uh, joined it and discovered that this is exactly what I was looking forward to, uh, uh, to be an assist to. And the chair is not uh, the most important person in the organization. The, the board was put together... Uh, so that uh, we could raise some funds to pay some of our people who were doing 40 hours a week uh, to make this thing happen. And so that's what the board has been charged to do. And I will no longer be the chair in about uh, a month or so. Uh, I was tasked with the job of uh, bringing about the first board elections and moving on to a fully elected board, which will be happening in about a month. Okay, okay. And just maybe a question around the Climate Caucus, then with your participation since then, is there anything that's happened or that you've experienced that you want to share, uh, being um, being that, that chair? Well, uh, there's we've done a lot of work, and there's a, a, a handbook available on the, uh, on the, uh, the site uh, for counselors and whatever, which gives them uh, help in what they can do in their own communities to get started on the climate action part of things. Being in North Saanich, which is the land of Elizabeth May, we're somewhat more advanced here, but I still don't have uh, uh, a majority on council to do all the things I want to do. So it's uh, it's it's there's still a lot of work here locally. Gotcha. Yes. And, and speaking of your council and maybe as part of the conversation around what councillors do and what government looks like, and just to provide a bit of a flavor of what government might look like in the West Coast, considering, you know, we are such a large country. So can you speak a little bit to your, your role as councillor, how that came about and, you know, your experience in the two terms that you've been at the table? Well, I've always been most interested in, in uh, local government. I've never really had a, uh, or felt a calling to go any higher than that. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, I find it most rewarding and you have the most actual effect in your own, com your own community. So I think there's that kind of a, 
a benefit to it. Um, um, going forward, uh, the, the work of counselors is, I think, a lot misunderstood by the average citizen in that a council is a board of directors uh, so that uh, the, the job of counselors to make decisions on behalf of people. Some people have the idea that I'm that a counselor should be there at their every beck and call to look after their particular problems. And the message I sort of give to people is that contact the district, the administration. We have some highly paid, very qualified people who are there to do that kind of thing. And if you can't get satisfaction with that, then give me a call and see if you need mm -hmm. to be helped out. And I'm happy to do those kinds of things. But it's a you get a call at nine on a Sunday morning with a bylaw complaint and you're going, well, you know, I'm not, uh, I really don't go and enforce bylaws. Thank you very much. But, you know, people have a, a, a different understanding of what the job actually is. Can you provide a bit of a, a story, a backstory around the makeup of the, the council in your community and membership? Uh, is it at large? And just sort of a, you know, a bit of what the, what the political world looks like in, in Saanich, in North Saanich. In, in, in B.C., uh, wards are not possible. Uh, there are no wards in BC. Uh, so uh, every election, no matter if you've got 600,000 people or, you know, 500 people, it's all first past the post, which in, in a small place like North Sandwich, which has got about 12,000 residents, that's not really that much of a big deal. But certainly if you're in Surrey or Kamloops or some of the bigger places, it really does make a difference. Uh, so there's that part to it. Um, I really enjoy my council. We're, we've got a, a broad cross-section of the political spectrum there and some people who aren't uh, associated at all. But my council uh, gets along very well. I have a, a good friend in my council who's a, a Harper conservative and a, I'm a Green and one would think that would uh, cause difficulties along the way, but it doesn't at all. Very little of the work done in, in most municipalities has got a, uh, a, a spectrum of, of, of uh, big P political to it. Uh, you know, we deal with parks, roads, sewers, and those kinds of issues. And, and you know, things around what's right for the community. And th those aren't partisan political items. And uh, I, I quite enjoy going to my council meetings. And, you know, we, we do debate things vigorously. And what I like about my council is you can't go in there knowing how the vote's going to go on anything. That you can change someone's mind with a powerful argument, which I really like. Are there any uh, any interesting uh, issues on the table or, or community um, priorities that, that that your community are focusing on? Well, yes. I, I will point out that North Sandwich is the third most wealthy um, uh, municipality in BC. So it's a, a, a little different place than a, a lot of places along the way. One of the, in, uh, the current uh, items we have is we have a... Uh, 80 acres of land that came as a result of a, a former racetrack that uh, uh, went defunct and uh, we made a deal with the developer with the owner that they would make we would make uh, 12 acres of, uh, of commercial uh, on the front portion to the road and then have the rest for agriculture and that's been I don't know, another two years uh, working along and uh, it, it's uh, been a, a tough go in that uh, I don't have faith particularly in the operators of doing it, though I'm, I'm a long-time progressive, so I'm put in a, in a bit of a hard place on this, and we're still fighting our way through that to try and come to the best solution. And, and where does the community fall with that kind of a, that kind of a project? It's, re it's really hard to say because having been acclaimed at the last election, and I, I 
I'm really unhappy about being con- acclaimed. It, it doesn't give you the ascent of the electorate, and it doesn't provide for there's a, 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 with no election. There's no discussion of these kinds of things. And in my in my view, it would have been much better off uh, to have a contested election. And I have to say that I recruited as hard as I I can. My theory on this kind of stuff is that if I lose to seven better people, then I probably got a better municipality, and I shouldn't worry about it. And how about with regards to the relationship uh, with the community at large? I mean, as council, you're meeting and you're, you know, you're debating, like you say, you're debating the issues and, and priorities of the community. What's the, uh, what's the uh, engagement of your community? Do you have a lot of contingent coming to council meetings or is it more focused on contentious issues? Well, before uh, COVID-19, uh, we, uh, we certainly had the, uh, uh, people regularly coming to council. We have quite an engaged population. Uh, I mean, it's educated and it's intelligent. I, I think we also have more PhDs per capita than any other place in Canada. So uh, you don't, I, I don't run into too many less than extremely intelligent people. Well, and this is important, right? Because, I mean, the electorate are the people, the citizens are the people that shape where the community is going. And it's it's their voice that, you know, that council will listen to or hear and ideally create policy and priority around. And speaking of policy and priority, does the community have, uh, how do you feel about the strategic plan of the community? And does the community have a, a buy-in in, in, in the direction of the major priorities of the of the community? Well, I would say that uh, a, a bit less so than normal because of the the, uh, the uncontested election, which all of that stuff would have been uh, discussed more. But I, I think we have a, a pretty much a collective buy-in into uh, into uh, what we want our community to look like, but not necessarily an equal buy-in in how we have to or in how to get there. And that's more part of the discussion. Um, I, North Sandwich has two neighbors: the, the town of Sydney. And the uh, municipality of Central Saanich, and we're what we make up what most of we call the Saanich Peninsula out here. And so there's a lot of we do a lot of cooperating with our our neighbors. And I'm actually an al- amalgamationist for uh, the three uh, municipalities, being as that would give forty thousand people, which does you know still keeps governance somewhat close at hand, uh, but would make things somewhat easier. But I'm not flogging that because I don't think there's much support in the community in general. Just because I think it's a good idea is, you know, not going to move it ahead. Well, and I guess the idea being that the consolidation would would um, reduce some of the costs, but also then align, I guess, create a larger body of energy around alignment for larger community priorities. Is that sort of the thinking behind that? or? Well, we have a, 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 an amalgamation uh, uh, group in the, in the CRD core, uh, which is CRD core is maybe 350,000 people with 13 separate municipalities okay and that to me doesn't make sense so you know there there's that part but uh i think the the people the the anonymous or the uh, amalgamation folks uh were selling that this is going to save people a ton of money and i don't believe that but what it does give you is is a much simpler and 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 uh better way to, to uh, have symmetry on the peninsula uh, while still maintaining a, a control of that. Um, and what you also get is more expertise and staff with, with and, you know, you're, we're, all of us are doing, you know, uh, um, all our planning, our OCPs and all those things separately. 
uh, you know, so there is there is some both saving on energy and I think cohesiveness in, in that. So I'm not so much on the on the money saving part because the one thing we would also lose is uh, uh, we'd have to hire more professional firefighters. We have you know largely volunteer forces now. So that would be a difference. And then police costs would go up too. So the, some things that you gain at administration, you lose in other ways. So my look at it is it's, it's, it's a write-off, but I think you just get better governance out of the of, of the issue. Without, that's my position on it. And, and now what about the relationship with the administration? I mean, as a council body, you're there, as you mentioned, you're, you're there as the board and you're there to provide the policy direction and, and the voice of the community. And then, of course, the administration is there to execute on those priorities and and move, you know, projects and programs forward. What's your what's your views on on those kind of relationships and and and, and how it's working for you and, and and any suggestions for you know the administrative side? Well, I can say that I've seen both sides of it in my term uh, two terms as councillor. In that. Uh, uh, Initially, I didn't have faith that the, our, our chief administrator was giving us all the information we need to make the best decision. I thought we were getting, and I still believe this, we're getting the amount of information that uh, uh, the, the person wanted us to have to make the decision that they wanted. And that was, when you don't have faith in your, uh, in your administration in that way, it makes it really, really hard. Yeah. So since then, we've had a change in mayor because the mayor and the former COO at that time were, were pretty much together on uh, how they wanted things to run. It was pretty autocratic. And since then, things have, have turned around. Yeah, the last election, that would be where it's... Uh, I have uh, We have a new CAO who um, I, I have faith in that uh, will give me all the information I need. He, he won't give me any favor at all <laughs> as over anyone else as is the way it should be but i can trust the information that i'm getting is the correct information and uh, so i can make my decision on on facts which makes it much easier well and and you know, murray it's an interesting observation in 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 your experience because really at the end of the day relationship is so critical you know, for effective government, no matter what the, you know, relationship with community, relationship with each other at the council table and, yeah, with the administration and other levels of government and, you know, NGOs as well that support the community and and building that trust. So so what tools, techniques, you know, what behaviors do you espouse to, to you know, to to demonstrate that, that, that you're open for, you know, building relationship and creating trust and, and transparency. How does that work for you? It, it's by building personal relationships and also understanding the, uh, uh, the the difference between what administration does and what counselors do. That mm. that uh, it's my view, and not all counselors everywhere feel this way. Is that uh, um, you should stick each side should stick to their knitting mm, okay. in that uh, uh, you know stuff that, that there should be a separation. And one of the uh, items that uh, uh, is taught to us is that uh, uh, staff is responsible for their end, and there's a there's a line, and the, the line is that uh, our council should have but one employee, and that's the CAO, and the right. CAO is the conduit to staff, and that's I I believe in that, but there's you know that it's not a stiff completely stiff item, but one has to be careful not to uh, cross that line and put the CAO in any difficult position through through 
undercutting him in some way by going by him. And that approach to building relationship applies in, in every angle, right? Whether it's with the community, with the individual constituents, you're, again, you're trying to create that connection. And that's so vital, isn't it? For, 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 you know, hearing honest feedback, but also identifying what's really happening in the community. Are there any things that you've come across in your experience with constituents where you, you know, where you're kind of, you know, interesting stories, let's say, that you can share that, that, uh, most people might not know what happens in in that side of the table. Hmm, that's a little bit of a harder one, I gotta say. Um, uh, council, it's important to build when a council comes together for the first time. It's, it's important to build uh, a relationship with with your colleagues along the way, and just to to, uh, to spread your wings further than your own thoughts. I think that's mm-hmm. that's critical to a, a council working together along the way, and to to be thoughtful uh, about not only what you say but how you look while you're while you're saying it and how you look in general. So that uh, you know everything's broadcast these days, and if you're making facial gestures and those kinds of things, I've had to correct myself a little bit on that. We have one councillor who uh, uh, is a sweetheart, in my opinion. And actually, hers is attack. It goes on and on and on and on sometimes. And as I said to my, my pal, sometimes that you know, after I've heard it the third time, I you know, I really I do listen and I get it the first time. Mm-hmm. And those kinds of things cut into everybody's speaking time. If you don't want the meetings to go constantly till midnight along the way, so it's about being thoughtful uh, about those kinds of things um, and, and working at building the relationships, even when they're when when they're getting a bit rocky and trying to correct those those difficulties what are some of your demographic challenges uh, you know are you are you growing and seeing growth happening and and what's the sort of the demographic makeup of the community i i'm pretty sure we've got the third or fourth oldest demographic in bc and uh and and in terms of uh of growth uh, the the population in general wants wants me to stop growth and and i say Give me something that's possible, <laughs> and and, yeah. and and you know, even if you stop growth, it wouldn't solve the issues that they're they're looking at. I know that with an older population, Sydney is where the where the 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 the, the, the bigger uh, uh, where there's more people, more dense population. That's where the care homes and that kind of thing are. And as I say to people, if you're if you're in a care home. And uh, you, you need your diaper change or you need services from staff. Don't ex- expect those people to, to be taking the bus for an hour and a half from Langford to come and, and, and work in this care home. So that we have to also provide housing uh, for uh, for the, the workers out here. You know, we have uh, a lot of world-class industry. We have the airport and all the, the all the, uh, you know, the businesses and that that need people to work in What's the affordability, the housing affordability like? And, and what are the priorities from a, you know, as you mentioned, growth is a very important aspect of, of how our societies or how our communities sustain themselves. I mean, there's reliance on that income. There's reliance on the, the money coming in for new services. Uh, what, you know, so what is the affordability? What is the, the makeup intensification, I'm assuming, is a priority for, for the community and the province? So that's certainly the, the case here, and that we have hardly any affordable housing in North Saanich. North Saanich is also where most of the agricultural land is. Uh, in our 
uh, most of our land is in the ALR, which is the Agricultural Land Reserve, which is, I think, we're the only province that has that, which uh, was to handle, the, uh, to stop development from eating up the uh, agricultural land. But what's happening in North Saanich is that uh, uh, rich, very, the, 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 the very rich are buying properties and turning them into estates that aren't farming. And, you know, with the, the global warming and those kinds of things, uh, security of, of, uh, of uh, foods or food security is just not there. We have about three days supply of food on Vancouver Island before we run out. Wow. So this is an issue over the entire island. And, and the, the, the question is, how do we, we deal with that? And, and my view, it, it's not by building estates by people who want to grow hay. You know, just to get their minimum agricultural uh, uh, footprint on the property that, you know, that they have to do something agricultural. But, you know, I'm pretty sure you'll agree with me that hay just isn't all that tasty. <laughs> yes. Definitely not for us, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And like, and, you know, there's a, a, a vibrant horse community as well. And, uh, you know, that those kind of things are, you know, people have the right to make those kind of choices. But... Uh, we're going to have to make some changes in, in, in how these things happen because we, uh, we can't depend on Mexico and California for very much longer to be providing us uh, with our food. And is that a priority for North Saanich as far as, you know, as far as local, local initiatives within your council uh, authority? Like- yes, but it, it's hard to, to make that happen given the amount of private land that's out there and, and how little mm-hmm. control one, any municipality has over, you know, uh, owned land. You know, we have all the bylaws and uh, all of those things are in place, so... You know, people will see a development happen and say, why don't you stop that? And we'll point out that, you know, well, those lots were created, uh, you know, 25 years ago and they yeah. exist. So, yes, we can stop them. However, there's going to be one heck of a good sized check that's going to have to get cut somewhere to, to accomplish that. Well, and, and you know, maybe a little bit on, on the sort of the... Uh you know, the urban makeup of the community, well, urban rural makeup of the community. So with a downtown core and the vitality of your downtown core, any comments around that or any initiatives around either enhancing or revitalizing a downtown core? Well, we have no downtown core. <laughs> uh, Sydney, which if you if you go and look on the map, Sydney is right adjacent to us. And that, so that's where the town is. Uh, so that's where people go for servicing or, uh, there's more, uh, of that in central Santa, which is just, uh, uh, south of us as well. So we have very little commercial in, in North Saanich. You know, we've got a, a few restaurants, um, you know, a few, uh, uh, commercial staffs, but any of the industry or that kind of thing is on the airport lens. So, you know, in terms of our control over that part of it, we don't really have you know, very much to deal with on that front. And that's one of the reasons why I like the amalgamation thing to have, to get the balance between uh, the rural and the urban in a more, uh, uh, as part of one community plan, I think would be a better idea. Yeah. Well, and that's, that, that raises another very, you know, very curious question for me around economic development and, and, you know, because economic, well, revenue is very important for the municipality for sure. Uh, you know, the, the impact of, especially if you have a very large residential tax base, I mean, that's, that puts a, a you know, a tax burden that's not split between, say, commercial and, or ICI uh, revenue sources. So what, 
what does it look like from you know from a from an economic development perspective? What are the things that people spend money on in the community? Uh, well, uh, they tend to uh, before COVID nineteen they t- tended to travel a lot. <laughs> I'll say that for them. So their uh, their greenhouse gas uh, uh, targets are not where I would like them to be. Um, <laughs> Uh, it, it, it's a funny place we have. Uh, if you if you look at the map of Narsans, you'll find it's got one heck of a lot of waterfront. So we have a lot, you know, there's quite a lot of 10, 15 million dollar homes. And and in terms of, uh, we also get uh, uh, grants and new from both the airport and BC Ferries, which also is in Narsans, which lands in Narsans. So that that makes up a, quite a, a, a large amount of cash to us. And the industry that's on the airport lands again is uh, is taxable to us, so that's where we're in, in we're in really good financial shape due to uh, those kinds of things. Is uh, I'm gonna why don't I say we have good government as well, just to pat myself on the back? But I think it, it's if you look at the others, you'd have a reason to think that uh, you know maybe I'm not telling the exact truth. About that. <laughs> Well, what's you know what's interesting to hear is that you. It sounds like you're actually in a very enviable position to have some very very solid and uh, sustainable revenue sources from a non-residential perspective that don't really need a lot of support from the municipality, right? It's not like you're servicing major industry or major commercial strips. It's it's they're self-contained. Um, I, I guess federally operated as well. Yeah. Yeah, or, or provincially operated in terms of the ferries. Um, I, I was uh, talking to my colleague from Sydney, uh, Chad Rintoul, the other day and uh, pointing out that because uh, they've got all the commercial on that to worry about that uh, North Sanitz has got about the easiest place in Canada to be a councillor in is what I suggested to him. And I I think I may be correct on that. <laughs> Well, that's that. You know what? That's that's interesting. So, so then, with regards to being a counselor in the community, your do you are there other things that you do? They're, they they are full time roles. They're they're uh, or are they uh, part time roles? They're part definitely part time roles. Uh, so I think our stipend is about fifteen thousand dollars a year, and I think we're being reasonably compensated at that level for for what we do. Yeah. Um, it's actually gotten. I would have a year and a half ago. I would have said that wasn't the case, but COVID nineteen has reduced the amount of workload by a fair amount in in, in itself. Um, and no, and how has the how has the community responded, reacted, and 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 basically you know rebounded from the whole COVID nineteen experience? Well, a lot of it didn't have to rebound. Uh, you know that uh, uh, you know the the the, the quite wealthy you know. It, uh, doesn't get hit right away. So, for example, I think we had eighty-five or ninety percent of our taxes paid on time in the usual way. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. so hey, tell me, I, I got to be in the easiest to government place <laughs> in, in the country, <laughs> and and to be acclaimed on top of it. I mean, I don't know if it gets any easier, does it, Maria? Exactly. <laughs> but there's something about being acclaimed that just doesn't, you know, makes my skin itch. You know. Um, in any council, there's you know got to be some time when your time's up and people have to let you know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there'll be another election coming up in two years, right? So yeah, yeah. So that'll be an opportunity to uh, to see what what comes up in that round. So yeah. then, by being at large, then you know, do you find any challenges or any uniqueness in that? 
you know, in that, um, in that type of model. I know here in Ontario, you know, some municipalities have at large systems and some municipalities have ward systems. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I can tell you from my experience in a ward system, you know, each councillor in that ward is looking after their particular constituent needs. And then the, uh, the, then the group makes decisions based on, you know, sort of the, the community as a whole. But then in a ward system, there might be an issue in the, in the town and every councillor is jumping to address that issue. It's just an interesting dynamic. How does it happen in your community? I, I should tell you about my modified ward system that I was promoting when, even when I was back in Surrey. Uh, that was one of my, uh, where you'd elect uh, some members in wards and others uh, uh, across the entire municipality. And that would give the, those people who ran across the entire municipality would be your uh, uh, representatives to, to regional governments, uh, to regional uh, boards and regional systems. And so they'd be able to talk to the bigger issues. Uh, and uh, and then you'd have some ward conference. So that would give a balance against, uh, you know, that, uh, uh, I'm not sure what the right word is for, uh, parochial. it's not parochial, but it's uh, uh, in the context of looking after your own little uh, little postage stamp and not worrying about the others. Yes, yes. Yeah, well, and that's, and that, you know, I, I find that interesting when you are in a ward sort of model, like, like we have a couple out here. Yeah, there is this tendency to, sort of overemphasize a particular issue because of its either its proximity to or its significance to the community. So then with that separate, you know, separate sort of separate parts or separate uh, constituent communities, you can focus in on it more, can you not? I mean, does it not give you more uh, so more more latitude to just really see what's happening if each community has its own little character? You can sort of, you know, be part of or enhance that character based on your experiences. Yeah, that, you know, I think that's you know re- relates to the to the kind of size and the spread outness and whatever of, of individual communities. Mm-hmm. Um, in our case, it's not so much of an issue. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one of the the issues of, of being at large for us is, uh, you know, when you go to election. I mean, basically here, uh, uh, door knocking is what does it. And we have so we have a lot of acreages and and bigger properties, and so hardly any places where that, that you can go through the whole thing in say a couple hours. Right. Virtually, we have two small subdivisions of that kind in North Saanich. So, other than that, the, everything else is you know pretty close to half acre or bigger. You know, going up to ten acres or, and bigger than that. So then, being being on the west coast and being in a a relatively pristine part of the country in, in a lot of respects is in our environmental issues prominent in in the community are there any things of concern whether it's you know i mean climate change is a general a general umbrella but are there any specific um experiences or, or trends that are emerging for for the community on on a climate front well being as uh, we're on the uh, on the actual coastline certain uh, certainly sea level rise is a big issue for us, and we were actually a leader in moving ahead. We've had our entire coastline surveyed, and uh, with the vulnerable areas identified, and those kinds of things, which the CRD is, uh, uh, which is the Capital Regional District here, which is a Victoria area, which is just uh, sort of uh, uh, coming on to, and I guess we'll be coming to a completion soon. But we were at a couple of years ahead on on doing that, so that's certainly an, an issue here, having all all the coastline, and. Uh, uh, 
not only that, we have to worry about, uh, you know, the big earthquake here. So, so emergency planning is really important. Um, so for those kinds of things, uh, forest fires, the, the thing I worry about in my own community is we have a, a Dean Park, which is a large provincial or federal park. I'm not sure. I think it's a provincial park. Uh, with a lot of timber in it, and uh, the Dean Park Estates is right below it, and one casually tossed cigarette butt could burn the whole thing down in like three or four hours, and th that's one of the things that scares me the most. And so we're we're uh, you know working on a, a our fire smart program has been in in place for a couple of years now, but it's it's you know expanding and and working out, uh, and I think most people are are becoming on board for that kind of thing. Around the, the whole climate change and CHG issues, it's amazing. Even amongst some of the intelligent people there, I still get people who tell me that, you know, the science isn't, isn't, uh, isn't there yet on GHGs. And I'm, you know, want to smack my head into the wall and go, you know, what? How much science do you need before, as I said, uh, have said to my, uh, a couple of my colleagues along the way, you know, the canary's dead in the bottom of the cage here, folks. The time for, you know, we got to do something about it now. Which, of course, is one of the reasons why I'm involved in the Climate Caucus. Well, and, and you know, with the, uh, you know, the experience of forest fires in the last the last month in the West Coast, I'm not sure how close that might be to where you are, but there's been a lot of activity, you know, all along the coast this year. Yeah, and we certainly have the smoke here. It's, it's, it's gone away now, and I can actually see nice blue sky and all that kind of things. But we had about five days of... Uh, I wouldn't say really intense, but it was certainly uh, there. You could see the the mist along, and you know, if you're out doing anything, the you know, people were not recommended to go out and do physical activity. And I went out and did a little ride in my tricycle and didn't get too far. We went, yeah, this isn't such a good idea. I think I'll take a few days off. Well, and you know, Vancouver being such an environmentally conscious community in and of itself, right? I mean, if you think about lifestyle and access to beautiful uh, vistas in nature. I can see that being, you know, a bit of a, a, a bit of a challenge to be facing with that kind of, being faced with that kind of, um, you know, uncontrollable events. Yeah. Another thing in, in North San Jose and BC in general, there's a lot of, of uh, First Nations that haven't ever signed a treaty mm. along the way. Or in, in our case here, we have the Douglas Treaty, which is, uh, um, uh, which, was written on one piece of paper and then uh, 10 years later rewritten again without inviting the First Nations in to have a look at it. Uh -huh. So uh, uh, I know in North Saanich we have uh, one, two, uh, uh, two reserves and in Central Saanich below us they have two as well. And so uh, uh, and, and uh, they had an opportunity to join a, a different treaty group, but they decided to stick with the, the Douglas Treaty part to uh, renegotiate that and, and to get back the rights that they uh, uh, they thought they signed for, and I, I believe that was the case to, you know, be able to hunt and fish and all those, those kinds of things. Well, you know, they were denied that opportunity. We had the whole residential school thing out here, which caused tremendous damage. And so, uh, you know, uh, two First Nations bands are our neighbors and, you know, we try, we, we deal with them, uh, you know, quite a lot and, uh, you know, have a pretty good relationship, but one, one can't help, but, uh, understand their difficulties well and i can imagine too especially with you know with the, the rural nature of the community as you're describing it with the state laws i mean that, that can that can be i'm sure difficult to reconcile with you know with the land claim issues and and just you know just uh, coexisting yeah uh, actually i'm, I'm uh, 
and well, Mr. Adam Olson's dad will be coming back and go back to, to making some signs here. But he's a, a First Nations uh, man who uh, 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 we were just talking about all this stuff actually over lunch uh, a while ago, and uh, and and how you know all the difficulties that have happened over the time, and uh, it's it's uh, I know that uh, in North Saanich we have a uh, Mount. Newton, which would only be a mountain on a small island, uh, but um, it it's uh, uh, was First Nations traditional and religious territory, and uh, Uvic owned a good piece of it, and uh, the local First Nation, the Pakistan tribe, managed to buy uh, about three quarters of it because that's all as much they can afford. It has a, a larger on the rest, but it had to be painful as heck to buy your own land back. Yeah. Yeah, and and even with all the awareness and and discussion, you know, at the federal and local, you know, uh, provincial level, there's still a lot more that needs to happen to to bring some, you know, some true reconciliation to the table. Yeah, we're 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 nowhere near being successful at that yet, but we're 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 working at it. the first thing you have to do when you're dealing with with uh, any First Nation in my mind is build a personal relationship. If there's no relationship there. You're really not going to make any progress at all. So that's one of the things we've been working at to try and establish, and just so that people know each other. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's interesting too because when you talk about you know that relationship, and you're talking about you know there's the individual relationship for sure, and then there's the you know there's the community relationship, but then when you have you know as we do across the country, you know different levels of government, different agendas, different priorities. And you've got the, you know, the, the piping of, of petroleum products to the coastline, which is, you know, one agenda. And then you've got environmental protection, which is another agenda. And, you know, some of these communities that are either impacted or benefiting from some of these decisions, that can create its own internal divisiveness even within some of these communities. Is that something that you see or is it or is that maybe not so much in your area? It's not exactly so much in actually North Sanders, but it's, it's definitely a big problem in, in B.C. I mean, one can't help and have sympathy for people wanting to, to have jobs and feed their families and, and those kinds of issues. But... Uh, at least in my view, that if, if if we don't get ourselves off fossil fuels, there is no future for the, the grandchildren and their grandchildren going forward. Uh, and yeah. it, uh, I'm I constantly uh, hurt inside knowing that my generation has done more to uh, prevent any hope for the next generation, and and that really hurts. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, but it sounds like you're trying to, you know, reconcile that in your own way by, you know, participating in important, you know, initiatives like the Climate Caucus, right? So I think this is, you know, the the conversation around, you know, just another shoulder leaning in the right direction might just make some difference, right? Well, as I sort of look at it, it takes a lot of people leaning on the rock to make it move. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 how can I, put, I ain't no quitter. And, you know, mm-hmm. so I will, I will carry on, you know, no matter what. And, uh, and, uh, you know, just going back to the climate caucus, I think I told you about Rick Lochtenberg, who started this thing out. And so I certainly hope you'll get a chance to have him onto your show to have a discussion about that. I think you'd, uh, that would be beneficial for both you and your listeners. Yes, I, I am definitely going to pursue that. 
And I wanted to ask you, Murray, as we come to an end in this conversation, can I ask you for a call to action for for the listeners that are out there? And I'm thinking if you have something you can speak to for the youth or the sort of the new graduates and new citizens coming into our communities as they mature and you know graduate from schools, as well as the citizens in our you know that are currently within our communities and maybe the political bodies across the country as well. Just a, some calls to action. Well, I mean, it starts out with do what you can. Uh, that seems to be the, the, the critical thing. There's, there's so many ways that you can take personal action, uh, be active politically, and let, let your leaders know uh, what you think uh, about this issue and, and you know, uh, make them do something about it. Uh, mm. Be uh, strong and... and uh, and continuous on it uh, along the way. And uh, if, if this is going to close. I, I, there's, I've got, I've got a, some brief words that I could close with if, if this is a good time for it. Yeah, sure, yes. Okay, this is uh, something that I uh, picked off Joni Mitchell from a record a long time ago, and I use this in amongst young people all the time, and uh, here's how it goes. You've got to shake your fist at lightning. You've got to roar like a forest fire. You've got to spread your light like blazes all across the sky. They're going to aim the hoses on you. Show them you won't expire. Not till you've burned up every passion, not even when you die. Come on now, you've got to try. As if strung with wires and hammers, strike every chord that you feel that broken trees and elephant ivories conceal. Very nice. It sounds like it strikes a chord with you very much. It does. Uh, You notice the emotion in my voice. Yes, and I'm so thankful for you sharing that deep passion. That, yeah, thank you so much, Murray. Well, as, as I've said, you know, I, I've tried so hard and made so little difference, but, you know, I just have to carry on. Yeah, but you know what? It's that passion and that commitment that you're communicating in this conversation that hopefully will resonate with somebody coming forward and and then picking up that torch and, and moving forward with it, right? And this is this is what we do as as humans. Yep. Yeah. Well, any any final words, Murray, that you'd like to share? Not really. I think I'm, I'm really grateful to have to had this opportunity to speak with you, and uh, I'll be checking out your cast on the way. Thank you so much, and I really, really appreciate the time you spent with me. Thank you so much for the story in North Saanich.